All right, we are in the 35th chapter, and uh, you'll see there that it, it's entitled Return to Bethel. Finally, you, you remember from our study last time that uh, um, Jacob should have already been in Bethel, but he delayed his journey there uh, by 10 years. I mean, it's one thing to be 20 minutes late, but it's another thing to be 10 years late. And he should have already been there, and the fact that he wasn't there yet had been absolutely disastrous for his family, uh, for him. And so we'll, we'll end up having to review part of that in just, just a minute, although the 34th chapter uh, is enough to make you blush. Uh, so we won't review too many of the details, but it was, it, it was tough. And it just shows um, when God says for us to do something... We need to do it 100%, not 50%, 40%, not even just 95%. We need to do it 100%. And so Jacob may have had all the good intentions in the world. I want to believe he did. But he did not fully, 100% obey what God told him to do. And the, the results were disastrous. So, chapter 34 versus chapter 35. They're very, very different chapters uh, Donald Gray Barnhouse in his um, commentary on Genesis says chapter 34 does not mention God. It's full of lust, murder, deceit, and wretchedness. Well, chapter 35 is very different. It's filled with God. Ten times the name of God is recorded plus once as God Almighty, El Shaddai. And, uh, and making a total of 11 times, uh, 11 times Bethel and Israel are, are mentioned. So there's a striking contrast between chapters 34 and 35. 34 shows us the results of a lack of 100% obedience to God. Chapter 35 shows the results of a return to following the will of God, which is what Jacob does in this chapter. So let's look at the first verse. Of chapter 35 and it says then God said to Jacob go up to Bethel and settle there and build an altar there to God who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau so we'll stop right there 30 years later God had appeared to Jacob at Bethel you remember the story of the angels, the ladder ascending and descending to heaven. Maybe you recall Jacob's response, the 28th chapter. If you want to flip back to the 28th chapter, verse 20. Uh, think, did I record that in the, on the side? Uh, okay, good. Thank you. I, I, I did that just for you, you know, so I wanted to be sure I did it. Ch chapter 28, verse 20. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I've set up as a pillar will be God's house. And all that you give me, I will give you, of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Now, we already have visited about these verses and the way Jacob worded this. If God will be with me, then I will do this or that. So I'm not going to revisit that. But we do recall the promises 
that Jacob made. And now, 30 years later, these promises that he made to God are about to be fulfilled. God appeared to Jacob, angels descending and ascending and descending. That was followed, that event was followed by 20 years that Jacob spent in Mesopotamia. God reminded Jacob here in this verse, go to Bethel or earlier to go to Bethel. And it took him another 10 years before he was obedient. Now that's the part of lack of 100% obedience. God said, it's time to leave Mesopotamia. You remember the story of getting out from there and away from his father-in-law. And and so Jacob is making his way. It looks good to begin with, but he's really slow moving. And, and where does he stop? You remember where he stopped? You remember it starts with an S and there's a boy by that name. And you remember the name? Shechem? Remember that? So he stops. And he doesn't fully do what God told him to do. And so 10 years before there is obedience, he lived outside the land and then in prosperous Shechem. Now the scripture doesn't say he stayed in Shechem because it was prosperous. We're making a guess on that. But I would not be surprised if that had a lot to do with Jacob's delay at 100% obedience. Less than complete obedience. So... Um, Let's remember, one more time before we leave it, when God says in his word, God speaks to our hearts and says, here's what I want you to do. Then our response is to be, yes, Lord, I'll do it 100%, not 90%, not 80%, not even 99%, but 100%, I'll do what you tell me to do. So that applies to us individually, applies to a church. Uh, whatever God wants us to do, we need to do so uh, completely. Now, the result of that less than complete obedience brought tragedy. The rape of Dinah, the desecration of the meaning of circumcision, a massacre of the Shechemites, and the fact that Jacob said, we've now become a stench in the land. But finally, we reach this point and there is the willingness to obey God. So in this 35th chapter, first verse, God says, go up. And when you read the word go up, what do you think about? Jerusalem. What else do you think about? Go up is a biblical term often used in the Old Testament to indicate a religious pilgrimage. A religious pilgrimage. In the Psalms, you read... Let's go up to Jerusalem and worship. And by the way, you do go up, both physically and spiritually. Go up to Jerusalem. So he says, go up to Bethel. And it reminds us of the worship that is to take place at Bethel. This is a religious pilgrimage that Jacob is taking. So when he gets there, he is in the heart of, of Canaanite land. Surrounded by the ites of the land, the Canaanites, and they're watching. And when he gets there, what does Jacob do? He builds an altar right in the middle of Canaanite land, Canaanite stronghold. It's like he takes a sword and sticks it in the ground 
and says, here we are. And he makes a declaration of the name of the one true and living God right in the midst of Canaanite territory. Drives a stake into the heart of Canaanite idol worship. So the conflict between the Canaanites and the other ites and Israel is just beginning to warm up on the stove. And it's going to continue for a long, long time. In fact, some would say to this very day, the struggle continues. Now, let's look at verse 2. That was a long time in one verse, wasn't it? Look at verse 2. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Get rid of the foreign gods you have with you and purify yourselves and change your clothes. Then come, let us go up to Bethel where I will build an altar to God who answered me in the day of my distress and who has been with me wherever I have gone. Remember the distress that he had at Bethel 30 years ago? What was his, what was his issue? What was his fear? What was he scared of? Esau. Esau is going to come. He's going to kill me. As sure as the sun rises in the east, he's going to come and kill me. He was in great distress. So, verse 4, they gave Jacob all the foreign gods they had and the rings in their ears. And Jacob buried them under the oak at Shechem. wonder if anybody's ever found that oak. It would be an interesting place to dig, wouldn't it? Well, the effects of the slaughter and the plunder of the Shechemites in chapter 34 is twofold. Number one, a defilement through contact with dead bodies, contrary to scripture. And number two, a taking of the idols, the gold and the silver, and a spiritual and physical contamination of the people. They took the idols, they took the jewelry, they took it all, they plundered them. And now God says to Jacob, get rid of all of that stuff. All those idols, all that jewelry, every reminder you are to bury under the, in the ground under this tree in Shechem and do it immediately. You're going up to worship, you're making a pilgrimage, you're going to build an altar in Bethel. Get rid of all that stuff. Now, what do you think about that? Ah, oh, come on. Be realistic. After all, God doesn't want me to be poor. Can't I just keep a little of the jewelry? How about a couple of earrings? Or a ring? You know, what I could do is sell it and give a tenth to God. <laughs> Jacob says, all of it, every bit of it, get rid of it, especially the idols, bury it all in the ground. There is a symbolic change of clothes that's important. They actually change clothes. It symbolizes a transition from a state of sin to a state of obedience. 
There is a New Testament parallel to that found in Ephesians, the fourth chapter, verse 22. Hear the words of Paul as he writes to the church in Ephesus, Ephesians 4, 22 to 24. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which has been corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. The New Testament picture of the old is gone, the new has come. And so, what happens? Obedience is immediate and total. 100%. Leaving a rich cachet in, underneath that tree in Shechem, and away they go to Bethel. I'm confident that someone, uh, some of the ites, perhaps... We're watching from a distance. They may have had a little digging expedition after the Israel was gone. I'm confident that if we were to somehow find that spot today and dig in, all that stuff would be gone. Well, obedience. It's reassuring, isn't it? After a chapter of less than 100% obedience and the disastrous things that result from it, now we've got 100% obedience on the part of Jacob, Israel, and his family. Now look at verse six, uh, verse 5. Then they set out. Now watch this. Then they set out, and the terror of God fell on the towns all around them, so that no one pursued them. Jacob and all the people with him came to Luz, that is Bethel, in the land of Canaan. Now, the people who live there are watching, and they are scared. They're scared because Jacob has a well-trained army complete with the latest bombers and tanks and rockets. Right? Wrong. They're probably as ragtag a bunch of looking folks as you've ever seen in all your life. There is nothing militarily about them that would have caused the Canaanites to be the least bit afraid. So where does the fear come from? The fear comes from God. The scripture is crystal clear. God is the one who brings terror upon the local population as they see Israel and his family moving through their land. He brought terror on them. No violence. They didn't lift a hand to do anything to anybody. Just God's presence caused by him. No one then dared to pursue them. And they arrived at Bethel. Better late than never. Now look at verse 7 and 8. There, Bethel, there he built an altar, and he called the place El Bethel, because it was there that God revealed himself to him when he was fleeing from his brother. Chapters we read earlier. Verse 8. Now Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died and was buried under the oak outside Bethel, so it was named Alon Bekuth. Alon Bekuth, oak of weeping. Now, 
Look at verse 7. You may wonder, what in the world, what's verse 8 got to do with anything? We'll, we'll talk about that. Verse 7. El Bethel, the God of Bethel. It was there that God revealed himself to Jacob years before. The word Bethel means house of God. So now the God of the house of God, El Bethel. Deborah, Rebecca's nurse, died. Why is that in this particular spot? Because this verse is intended to indicate to us a transition. There is a change taking place, a change that we're now going to follow. A change taking place in the verse recording the death of Rebecca's nurse is a transition verse to catch our attention and let us know something extraordinary is about to happen and there's a change in direction. So we're going to see that as we start with verse 9. So look at verse 9. After Jacob returned from Paddan Aram, God appeared to him again and blessed him. And God said to him, your name is Jacob, but you will no longer be called Jacob. Your name will be Israel. So he named him Israel. This is a, what? A review and a reminder of what God had already said to Jacob, to Israel. And God said to him, I'm God Almighty. Be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you and kings will be among your descendants. Wonder who that might be. We'll think about it. The land I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I also give to you. And I will give this land to your descendants after you. Then God went up from him at the place where he had talked with him. And Jacob set up a stone pillar at the place where God had talked with him. And he poured out a drink offering on it. And he also poured oil on it. And Jacob called the place where God had talked with him, Bethel, house of God. All right, let's think about these verses for a moment. There is a blessing in verses 9 and 10. God pronounces a blessing upon Jacob, upon Israel. Now notice the parallels. Put your thinking cap on and review earlier in Genesis. There are parallels here between what is happening to Jacob, Israel, and what happened to Abraham. Remember, what was Abraham's name before God gave him the name Abraham? Abram. From exalted father, the meaning of the word Abram, to the father of a multitude, the meaning of the word Abraham. What's the parallel? Jacob which means deceiver or heel grabber to what Israel, he who struggles with God. So there is this parallel of a name change, Abram to Abraham, Jacob to Israel. And it symbolizes, it's more than a name, although that's important. It symbolizes a transformation of character and destiny. A transformation of character and destiny happened with Abraham, happening with Jacob, Israel. And he is, a name is given that God had earlier already said at Peniel, your name is now Israel. So God goes back here and he reviews all that again. 
as a reminder, a fresher and an encouragement to Jacob. Did, did you ever have to be told the same thing twice? Oh, your wife did that this morning. Huh? <laughs> okay. Of course, happens to all of us. Jacob, Jacob knew everything that God said here. Verse, he already knew, but he needed to hear it again. And so God tells him again, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless the world through you. And your name is now Israel. Verse 11, we read God Almighty, which is El Shaddai, first used back in chapter 17, verse 1. Uh, you can turn back there. Just listen as I read it. Chapter 17, verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old. The Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. And there sure was a lot of stuff about to happen in Abraham's life. So El Shaddai appears here to Jacob, to Israel. And by using the name El Shaddai, he is once again affirming the promises that he had made. That this Name El Shaddai symbolizes God's sovereignty and God's power. Now El Shaddai blesses Jacob Israel. And these words of blessing are similar to what had been heard before. Look again at verse 11. Be fruitful and increase in number. Have we heard that before? Yes, we have. A nation and a community of nations will come from you. We heard that before? Yes. And kings will be among your descendants. Heard that before? Yes. The land I give to Abraham and Isaac, I also give to you. And I will give this land to your descendants after you. So here's Jacob, Bethel, God speaking, God appears, he's speaking. Nevertheless, where he is right now is in the heart of whose Territory. You could say it. They're everywhere. They're surrounded. So Jacob's hearing. He's aware. It's a promise. Jacob needs it. He needs to hear it. I'm not going to be afraid. I'll leave my people to be obedient. And though we are surrounded. We know you're going to keep your word. The land is ours. And although physically you could look at it and say it's not yours yet. In God's eyes, it was already theirs. And Israel was going to see it all unfold amazingly in the days that are before them. So after he said all that, in verse 13, God went up from him. At the place where he had talked with him. Now, he says words of blessing in verses 11 and 12. Kings will come from you. About a thousand years later, who do we read about in scripture? David. 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 What happens about a thousand years after him? What king comes along then? King Jesus. Absolutely. 
So Jacob, Israel is hearing kings are coming. Now we call an appearance of God to man a theophany, an appearance of God. That's what happens. He's a theophany. God appears to Jacob, to Israel, just as he did with Abraham back in the 17th chapter. Um, let me read 17:22. Chapter 17, verse 22 says, when he had finished speaking with Abraham, God went up from him. Just like it says here, God went up from him, left Israel, left Jacob. So in verses 14 and 15, we find this stone pillar, this altar, this act of dedication on the part of, of Jacob, Israel. He now understands what he did not fully comprehend as a young man. Are there some things you understand now that you didn't understand when you were young? <laughs> yeah, of course, of course there is. Some of it's good, it may not be so good, but there are things we understand that we didn't understand when we were young whippersnappers. But now we understand, well, Israel, Jacob, is now understanding some things that previously he had heard, but didn't fully grasp, but now he does. And a different Jacob is arising. We've seen him. We've seen him in every shape, form, or fashion. Some not very flattering. Some downright sinful. But now a different Jacob is arising as we continue to move forward in the book of Genesis. And in the 28th chapter and the 18th verse, the scripture says, Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. That was 30 years earlier at Bethel. And now he does it again. After all those years. Now, how much time do we have left? A uh, little bit. A little bit. So look at verse 16. We're now going to see birth, death, and rebellion. All in just a few verses. Look at verse 16 of chapter 35. Then they moved on from Bethel while they were still some distance from Ephrath. Who knows what Ephrath is? Bethlehem, Bethlehem Ephratah, you remember? Yeah, Bethlehem or Ephrath. Rachel began to give birth. Whoa, that's good news. Uh-oh, bad news and had great difficulty. And as she was having great difficulty in childbirth, the midwife said to her, don't despair for you have another son. As she breathed her last, for she was dying, she named her son Ben-Oni. But his father named him Benjamin or Benjamin. So Rachel died. Whoa, man, all of a sudden, sadness. Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. Over her tomb, Jacob set up a pillar. And to this day, that pillar marks Rachel's tomb, meaning the day in which this was written. Uh, if you go there today, they'll show you. Where they say she was buried. Maybe so. I mean, I, we have no way of knowing for certain. Israel moved on again and pitched his tent beyond Migdal Eder. And while Israel was living in that region, Reuben, one of his boys, who was Reuben's mother? Leah. Reuben went in and slept with his father's concubine, 
Bila, and Israel heard of it. And nothing yet. Jacob had 12 sons. Here we go with the list of sons again. Now, the order is important. We'll get there. Here's the order. The sons of Leah, Reuben, the firstborn of Jacob, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. The sons of Rachel, Joseph, and Benjamin. The sons of Rachel's servant, Bilhah, Dan, and Naphtali. The sons of Leah's servant, Zilpah, Gad, and Asher. These were the sons of Jacob who were born to him in Paddan Aram. And Jacob came home to his father Isaac in Mamre near Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron. Hebron still exists? Absolutely. We call it Hebron. You know, down south here we'd say that. I'm going to Hebron. Okay, that's all right. Where Abraham and Isaac had stayed, Isaac lived 180 years, and when he breathed his last and died, and was gathered to his to his people, old and full of years, and his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. Whoa! The boys are back together, very temporarily. Esau and Jacob together to bury their dad. So let's. Um, what can we do here? Just my watch. My battery's died. I got to run by and get a new battery. So let me look at this. Um, don't be making any snide remarks about my battery being dead every Sunday morning. <laughs> Jacob loved Rachel. We know that, don't we? Jacob loved Rachel since the day he met her. It was just amazing love story. So how thrilled he must have been to learn she's pregnant for the second time. She's already given him Joseph. Now she's going to give him Benjamin. The conception was in the promised land. That had to mean something to Jacob. No problems sensed as they journeyed toward Hebron where Isaac lived. That's where they're headed to where Isaac lived. No sense of an issue. But tragedy strikes a few miles from Bethlehem, Ephrath. Rachel dies in childbirth. Um, before death, she names him Ben-Oni, son of my trouble. That's what that means, son of my trouble. But, but Jacob, notice we're seeing the wisdom of Jacob emerging more and more. Jacob understands the power of names. So he changes the name to Benjamin, ben Hamin, Jen, Benjamin, the son of my right hand. Who was his right hand? Who's he saying my right hand is? Well, Rachel, she's my right hand. So this is the son of my right hand. He loved her. So Benjamin, like Joseph, will be a favorite son. Um, there's a some tragic irony here. If you go back to chapter 30, verse 1, Rachel saw that she was not bearing Jacob any children. She became jealous of her sister. So she, she said to Jacob, Give me children or I'll die. Ooh, wow. It ends up being childbirth that takes her life. So they bury Rachel near Bethlehem. And I'll close with chapter 48, verse 7. The expression of the sorrow of Jacob. As I was returning from Paddan to my, to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan. 
while we were still on the way a little distance from Ephrath. So I buried her there beside the road to Ephrath, that is, Bethlehem. In his final accounting of his life to his children, he remembers the death of Rachel and expresses how grief-stricken he was over losing the one that he loved so dearly. So next week we're going to pick up with uh, verse 22 of chapter 35 because something stunning, I mean this has been a stellar chapter, but we get to verse 22 and something very stunning and upsetting and concerning happens. And there's a reason, there's, there's no justifiable way Reuben should have done what he did. This is horrible what he did. I mean, horrible, disgraceful, insulting. But as we look carefully at it, it's not hard to figure out the rationale he used for doing what he did. And we're going to see it because he does it on purpose. It's not a sin of passion. It is a purposeful act in order to make a statement to his father Jacob. And we're going to see how that statement did not turn out the way he wanted it to. Reuben thinks in the disgraceful thing that he did, he is going to become the winner in the family. The truth of the matter is he becomes the loser. So we'll see all that unfold next time. So be back next week, chapter 35, beginning with verse 22. Father, thank you. Uh, your word amazes us. We love you, adore you. I pray that we would remember the importance of being 100% faithful and obedient to you at all times. And bless us as we leave this place to go and do whatever it is you've called us to do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you.